Ron Van Dam. He doesn't need this gig. He's got all that money coming from that deposed Nigerian prince. Should be here any day now and then. He's kissing you suckers goodbye. You're listening to The Ron Van Dam Show on New England Broadcasting. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. It's The Ron Van Dam Show. Thank you so much. Hold on tight. Things can get a bit weird. If you like that sort of thing. Thanks for stopping by. It is the Ron Van Dam Show. I am the person to whom they refer to in the title of the damn thing, and there's really nothing to talk about here. I don't see your name in the title of the show, so, okay, so I'll be the one talking, you sit down, be quiet, and I'll take it from here. There is no uh, age restriction to listening to this show, although if you're a child, I do suggest you go somewhere quickly and hide, and I'll let you know when this is over. The same goes for adults. All right. All right. I have a very interesting show for you today. Boy, do I have a good one for you. Uh, Today's guest uh, has written a book uh, about uh, what, well, I guess you'd call it the syndicate, uh, the the mafia, the outfit, so to speak. Uh, It's a a man who, as a child, uh, was brought up in in that type of mafia such family. What was it like, really? Uh, the book is a novel, but the facts behind it and the experiences are real. So we'll get to that uh, a little bit later in the show. Do stand by for that. In the meantime, you've got me. Oh boy, how could it get better than that? Well, <laughs> I guess I guess it can't. Uh, I I just want to help you get through this particular year. Do you remember on New Year's Eve, we were all celebrating the end of 2023, which was not all that horrendous, uh, although there were some horrible things that happened across the world. But we ushered in the year 2024, and we uh, set off fireworks. Yeah, that's a snorth. I've seen fireworks before. I don't know why I, people stand and look in the sky and go, ooh, about things exploding in the air. You don't do that if in your, you're in a war-torn country. When you see bombs bursting in air, you don't go, ooh. It's a little different and perhaps at this point a little bit weird. But we did that. We did the fireworks. We toasted each other with a glass of champagne, and we ushered in and looked forward to the year 2024. What are you kidding me? 2024 is and is going to be one of the most tumultuous years of one's life. Now, they've been worse, granted. But this ain't nothing to look forward to, baby. And I use my grammar incorrectly in order to make a point. 2024 is like uh, going to a scary amusement park ride where you're uh, buckled in for the time of your life. 
because that's what's going to happen. So hold on to your seats and your hats and whatever else you hold on to. It's going to be a doozy. And the major reason, there are two reasons. The major reason is the presidential election. It's a presidential election year. Oh my God. This one's a little bit difficult. Um, In many people's estimation, uh, this is a difference between the future of the country and getting through it okay. Um, Yeah, and I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but your vote is, uh, is incredibly important this time around. Unless you like uh, dictatorships and Putin and all that stuff, as one of the candidates has shown a love affair accordingly. I don't know. Uh, the president of Hungary just yesterday endorsed Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know why we have foreign leaders endorsing somebody running for president here, but we do, I guess. The president of Hungary, by the way, in case you don't know, is one of the closest allies to uh, Vladimir Putin. Um, I don't know if you knew that, but that's the case. And he is endorsing Donald Trump. Now, um, I don't know where that endorsement goes, but it certainly is telling. So uh, get your voting booth geared up, uh, strap on your your ballot, and uh, let's make sure that uh, this is an interesting election, as it will be no matter what happens. So this is going to be a tumultuous year, I guarantee you. If there's anything that the American public uh, can't stand, it's political ads that are just drilled into your head until you cry, Mama, enough, leave me alone. It comes to that. But then when it gets close to election day, America usually says, okay, this is crunch time. I'm going to do what I really think I should do, and that's vote. And uh, I think the the, the turnout's going to be incredible because a lot is riding on it. Now, uh, that in itself is a tumultuous year. (laughs) On top of that, uh, you've got uh, two incredible wars, and there are other wars, too, that we leave out. But you've got uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, And then you've got the Israeli-Hamas situation. Both of them, where people are dying in mass numbers every single day, and countries themselves are being destroyed to the point where only rubble is left, and infrastructure is gone. And that's the world in which we live. Love and peace? No, sir. No, sir. No, ma'am. Not quite. 2024 is a tumultuous year. And if you're just living your life figuring that the most important thing to you is how it's going on the television show, The Bachelor, then perhaps you should open your eyes for this particular annual event uh, called uh, following things and making sure you know what's going on. Open your eyes, open your ears. This is important. It's the place in which you live. So, what else is tumultuous in 2024 besides the presidential race and wars going on? Well, uh, the Olympics are probably uh, happening. I don't know. No one talks about it. That seems to be more of a uh, divert your attention kind of thing than anything else, where athletes, amateur athletes at that, and some professionals, 
train uh, forever for that one moment in their uh, Olympic uh, thing. <laughs> Here it is. I've trained all my life for this moment. Okay, that's pathetic. I'm sorry. I mean, like, wow, okay, you definitely have dedication and that kind of thing. But to train your entire life for one moment, I'm not sure about that one. And, uh, okay, now, okay, I, I, I got a gold medal in the Olympics. Okay, now what? I guess I'll get a job at um, Wendy's? Uh, what? I don't know what to do now. Well, you can market yourself in commercials like Wheaties boxes, I guess, for a little while. Other than that, you go down in history as, what, someone that ran fast? I mean, come on, seriously. Cure cancer. Don't just run fast. Do something that helps me. So the Olympics are happening, and I don't like the Olympics because uh, the countries individually tout each other and compete, and duh, 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 duh. It's, a, it's, a, it's a phony kind of thing. And then you have, this is the worst part of 2024, it's a leap year. I got one extra day to deal with. Oh, great. With all the things I just mentioned that are stressful and horrible for the most part, now you're going to add an extra day to it? Oh, my God. And it's February 29th. What do I do with that? Uh, do I get the day off? No. So what do I do with that extra day? Uh, nothing. I don't know. Have a hamburger. I don't have an extra piece of cheese. I really don't know what you do with February 29th. I'm not sure. It should be some kind of groundhog holiday. I really don't know. But you know what? That's not only your problem, it's my problem too. And maybe the only way I'm going to make it through is to indeed start watching The Bachelor on ABC. Thank you, there's a plug. <laughs> or you could watch The Bachelorette. I don't know when that show is on. I don't follow this stuff. I do know some people who spend the time talking about that show, about what happened on The Bachelor. And I don't... Um, is it fitting that uh, this year or last year, I guess last year, they had the uh, the Golden Bachelor, which is uh, the senior version of the show for older people. Um, was that purposely thrown in because of the upcoming presidential election against two older people? And by the way, I've said this on the show before, and this is the way I feel and how you feel. Age is something to be respected, not maligned. When someone's older, it means they've been through more, they're more seasoned, they're more experienced, they know what to do in most situations because they've been through most situations. I consider age to be a proper thing. In many cultures, the elder is respected and revered, and well, they should be because they're smarter than your ass, that's why. So don't give me this age stuff. Now, if they're losing it, and are doing presidential uh, or or uh, uh, some kind of speech, uh, nomination speech, and they go off on a tangent and talk about refrigerators and how toilets don't flush like they used to, I would consider to, that to be a problem. But missing a few words and, and you know forgetting where your keys are, I do that. I forgot where my keys were when I was 23. Also, uh, speaking of Joe Biden... 
I don't know, Joe, why you don't tell everybody this because it would so much help. Joe Biden stuttered as a child. So did I, and I ended up in radio. So I guess I overcame that to some extent. Joe Biden stuttered the earlier part of his life. When somebody stutters, you mistake it for things. That means the brain has to work faster than the mouth does. And sometimes Mr. Biden will make a gaffe, which has nothing to do with his stuttering. People make mistakes. Have you never made a mistake? Has a president never made a mistake? Some have, of great consequence. But these mistakes are just a word or something put out of place by mistake. Or uh, mistaking a name for another name. They both do it. We're going to take a short commercial break, and then we'll be back with with more. Um, hey, 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 yeah, you. I'm talking to you. Do you like comedy night? When You, you like to go out and listen to comedians? Mm, me neither. Looking to have a few laughs this weekend? Come to comedy night at that bar near your house. Hosted by that local comic who hasn't moved past open mic nights for 20 years. And featuring that guy who told everyone he was moving to Los Angeles to become a famous comic and was back in three months. That girl whose friends all say she's really funny. And your headliner, that guy who was nearly famous until it turned out he liked to send pictures of his penis to strangers. It's a night full of fun and laughs, and it's happening at that bar near your house. Not too far to drive, just a little too far to walk. We'll see you there. Scott Hoffman joins us now. An interesting individual has written an incredible book. This is a book that you have to get. There's no question about it because it's it's in it's in our minds of curiosity, and here it is in front of us. The book is called Inside, and Scott uh, Scott joins us right now. Hi, Scott. Hi, Ron. Pleasure to be with you. Uh, this book is about something that uh, has been portrayed in the movies, in various novels, and all kinds of things. And here it is in real life. Scott, uh, actually his dad, was in the mafia in the Chicago area in the 50s and 60s and has like a real view of this thing in the real world. Um, Scott, uh, <laughs> did you know that you were going through a, an interesting kind of life at the time? Well, Ron, first of all, my book is, uh, I just want to let the listeners know, while the book is fictional, it's composites of real people right. and real events. Yes. And yes, you have to remember that my father was, you know, of course, high-ranking with the outfit, and uh, he was a manager for Paul Rica, he was mm-hmm. consigliere for Sam Giancana, reported to Tony Accardo, who was considered the CEO, mm-hmm. and in 1973, he was uh, consigliere for Joey Ayupa, but he had the plan for Las Vegas. Seven hotels, seven casinos. Wow. And when I was eight years old, I was going out to Las Vegas at least five times a year with my father. My father's approach with me was not, some hosts would say, was he grooming you? It wasn't that. It was strictly he wanted me to see every aspect of mob life, see everything. And if that's what you want, but you go in with your eyes open. But you're going to make the decision. But you're going to see everything to know what it's all about. You're not going to be 16, 17 years old right. thinking it's something different than what it really is. So that's why I started very young. Uh, but he but he did give you the opportunity or the mindset to go into it or not. That's correct. He left the decision up to me. That's pretty cool. All right. That's good. Yeah. 
Uh, Scott, I, I guess I'll ask you right off the bat. Uh, well, obviously, this is a work of fiction, but you use characters that, that mirror the, the kind of experience that you went through and that, that you observed. Um, when, the, the question is, uh, what we see in the movies, what the, what the lay people of the world know about the mafia, is that indeed the case or is it not, not really close to what it is? No, it's not really. It's, it's a little bit, a little pinch, I would say, okay. of what something's going on. But it's a long way from the reality because, again, and the people who produce the movies and the television shows mm-hmm. and write books, you know, mob historians, mm-hmm. uh, they, they're doing it, all, obviously, in a lot of cases for entertainment. And they mm-hmm. do an excellent job. But it's entertainment. It's not even close in some cases, especially, I'll give you a fast example, the movie yes. The Irishman, okay? Mm-hmm. That's far from what the reality was, because I knew The Irishman, I knew Frank Sharon, and that's not really, really how things really played out. So it's not really the truth. Like I say, if you're talking to someone from the inside who's involved, that's another story. But when people looking in, it's like your work. I can look at your job but I've never done your job. Right. And if I was to write a book, you'd say, Scott, this is not really how this business works. Wow. Um, of interest to many people is, is the fact that you, you met Marilyn Monroe uh, at a point during, uh, <laughs> during your life. Uh, under what circumstances and what was that like? Well, Sam Giancana said to me, said to my father, he says, how would Scott like to meet Marilyn Monroe? Mm-hmm. And what boy would not want to meet Marilyn Monroe? Yeah. And, she was in Chicago. This was in March of uh, 1961. She had d- finished her last movie, The Misfits, and Clark Gable was in the movie, and both of them were supposed to go out and do a promotional tour. Mm-hmm. And the movie in February had its premiere in New York. So she was in Chicago at uh, the Blackstone Hotel, which at that time uh, was mo- a mob prot- prostitution <laughs> on oh. Saturday only, and I'm sure the current owners would love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. And so when we started talking, see, my grandfather, and I, I told her who my grandfather was, he had actually shot Marilyn Monroe for Hugh Hefner's July 1953 Playboy magazine. Okay. He Film, did the, filmed her. He, filmed her. He didn't do the uh, inside, you know, <laughs> but he did the cover. He did okay. the cover. And the okay. reason Hugh Hefner wanted to use my father, a grandfather, mm-hmm. was that in those days they didn't have airbrushes. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather, by hand, he was a portrait photographer, by hand could take... Uh, the chemicals what were needed and put into flesh tones. Mm-hmm. And if you were to look at the magazine that's online, you'll see all her skin looks natural. You wouldn't know that it, would, it was put in on the negative. So, uh, you know, I told her, and she says, oh, your grandfather was pretty tough. And what happened was she was supposed to meet at 7.30 in the morning at the studio with her people, and she didn't come till 12.30. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather was shooting a young couple who were getting married, and that's basically what he liked to do. He wasn't really interested in doing this, but Hefner offered him $50, which was a lot of money in, in uh-huh. 1953, uh-huh. to do it. He said, okay, I'll do it. But she didn't come on time. And he, he said to her, you, you didn't come on time. You were scheduled at 730. Because my grandfather would always want to shoot people early in the morning when they were fresh uh-huh. rather than later in the day when they're tired. And she said, well, I, you know, I, I had to do a couple of things. And he said, well, you can go back to do those couple of things because you can leave right now. And she says, you're not going to do it? And my grandfather says, yeah, get the hell out. Just like that, he told me. Yeah. And so that afternoon, Hugh Hefner called him. Yeah. And so what really happened? He says, look, when I schedule someone, I want them there, 
Okay, yeah. do you understand? And after, like, kind of back off. I'll have her there tomorrow, 7.30? 7.30. At 7.30, she was there the next uh, day. I bet she was. The shoot was about five hours, and she would always tell me, yeah, my grandfather, your grandfather was real tough. But then she started <laughs> telling me about her life, yeah. and she had a very, very hard life. Yeah. Okay, her mother was a, uh, declared schizophrenic, diagnosed schizophrenic, in and out of institutions. Mm-hmm. And when she was born, that day, someone from DCFS in California was in the hospital, and they asked the doctors, uh, is she okay, can we take her? And the doctor said, yeah, you know, she's physically well enough to leave. And they took her and put her in a foster home right away. She was in uh, 12 foster homes and then four orphanages. She had contact with her mother, but she told me, she says, not that much. And I said, well, on your birth cert- on the, you know, marriage certificate, it's got the name Mortensen, Norma Jean Mortensen. And, he, and she said, yeah. That was my mother's boyfriend. That wasn't my real father. And I said, well, did you ever get to meet your real father? And she said, yeah, with a private investigator. I found my father in Rhode Island. And when I went to see him, I told him, I'm your daughter, Norma Jean. Everyone knows me as Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. but I'm your daughter. And he said to me, he said, I'm married now. I have a family. Call my lawyer. And he walked away from her. Mm-hmm. And she was, it really hit her hard. Yeah. So she, she yeah. never had any more contact. He wouldn't have contact. Yeah. And I always believed the guys she went after, top guys, like a Joe DiMaggio. Because yeah. when I met her, Joe DiMaggio, was that was the second time around. Yeah. Was it a way to prove to her father that she was good enough for his love? She wasn't just wow. some average girl. She, 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 really, she, really, she really opened it up, she opened up to you. <laughs> yeah, well, quite wow. a bit. Because yeah. when I told her, I said my father would... Uh, she knew, knew my father ran yeah. Las Vegas and yeah. what was going on. And she said, and, and I said to her, I said, my father would always tell the girls who walked around with the drinks, yeah. do a Marilyn. And she said, what, what, why did he say that? What was it about? And, and she had come in with a brown wig. Okay, she wasn't, yeah. she was wearing a wig when, I, when she walked in the door. And I said, my father did that. He said, because when men see a blonde, they automatically look at a blonde and the girls will double and triple their, their tips. Yeah. And she said, oh, they look like this, and she took the brown wig off. Okay. And so I said, yeah. So she, she said, what, yeah. what happened okay. with the tips? Okay. And the girls doubled, tripled, quadrupled the tips. Because yeah. men like blondes. They might like brunettes and yeah. redhead, yeah. but a blonde will always catch a man's eye. As soon as okay. she walks in, yeah. he looks at her. Yeah. So Scott, we talked, and then she said, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 13. She said, 13 going on 40. Yeah. She said, you've lived a thousand lives? I said, maybe a thousand one. Oh, wow. We talked about two hours. Scott, let, let me let me ask you here. Um, apparently, which is shocking to most people, is that you witnessed your your first murder uh, when you were nine years old and uh, in a head decapitation at the age of twelve. Um, wh- and also, I had guys cut. I saw guys' hands cut off when I was eleven. Have a happy birthday to you for those years. I mean, uh, like yeah, well, uh, I didn't have any birthdays. Okay. <laughs> I had no birthdays. I never learned how to ride a bicycle. My father and I never had a game of catch or took yeah. me to a baseball game. Everything was mob-related. Wow. You're going to see it all. Wow. Everything was mob-related. Wow. In, in, in writing this book, using fictional characters, of course, did you feel any intimidation from any existing outfits uh, at this time no. where maybe this isn't a good idea? No, because, they, first of all, being fictional... They didn't know who I was really talking about. They might have had an idea, but I wasn't naming their names. And like I always tell people, I said either guys would be in jail or they couldn't read or they were dead. Mm -hmm. So I says, I wasn't worried. All right. Uh, Your your father, for example, never served uh, jail time, I understand, uh, for being in the mob. 
That's correct. Because my father, you know, when they'd meet in restaurants or they'd meet in a bar, he always was concerned that there was a bug under the table. The uh-huh. G, meaning the FBI, yeah. uh, was listening, okay? So he would use churches, Catholic churches. He would use uh, Jewish temples. He'd use Catholic cemeteries, Jewish cemeteries. Yeah. He'd meet with people at different locations, different places. He used pay phones. He was smart, huh? Smart. So, yeah. yeah, he was... He would do things in places where, uh, you know, people would not expect to be done, especially the Catholic churches. I'll never forget, after we, I spent a lot of time in Catholic churches with wise guys, okay, and, you know, Mm -hmm. not of the faith. But I always remember that uh, when we get through using, uh, meeting someone in a Catholic church, or my father would use a phone, he'd always give the priest a $5 donation. If the priest was a drinker, he would give him a bottle of uh, Jack Daniels or Johnny Walker Red yeah. or Cuddy Sark. <laughs> must, have no, gone, whatever their must have gone through was. a lot of cases. Uh, Scott, yeah. Scott, you yeah. You, yeah. you you decided uh, obviously, I assume, not to go into the outfit um, when 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 that decision came. Uh, that is indeed the case, I assume. Yeah. What happened was I was a senior in high school, and uh, I told my mother I had an application for junior college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I figured I'll go to junior college and give myself a little time and take some courses and see what I might be interested. So I'm talking with my mother, and I said, I don't know how Dad's going to take it, because we never talked about if I'm going into the life or not. And she said, Scott, just tell him. Just tell him. So he came home later that day, and my father worked legit jobs, so he'd have a W-2. Okay, he didn't take mobbed-up jobs. He didn't take no-show jobs. So he always had a W-2, because the IRS criminal division uh, was always uh, auditing his tax returns. Yeah. And I said, Dad, look, we got to talk for a second. I said, oh, he said, okay, Scott, come on. So we sat in the living room, and I said to him, you know, I've decided I'm not going into the life as a participant. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll be an observer, but uh-huh. I'm not a participant. Uh-huh. And a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between the two? And I said, when you're a participant, that's when you can get indicted for criminal activity because you're involved with it. Uh-huh. When you're an observer, it's like you're looking from the outside in, uh-huh. but you're not doing anything, so there's okay. no evidence against you. You know, right. a court of law, you need evidence. It's not like a court of opinion right. where you can just run your mouth right. and say what you, your opinion. So he said, okay, what, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm going to a junior college, right, right junior college, Wilbur Wright Junior College. Mm-hmm. And he said, Scott, look, that's great. He said, the worst thing a parent can do is force a kid into something they don't want to do. Because 30 years later or so, 40 years later, the kid's going to come back and say, you forced me into this. You forced me. So if you want to further your education, go out in the business world, do whatever you want that's not in the mob life, I'm with you 150%. And he was. That's how he felt. So the book is called Inside. Let's talk about that. That's available everywhere, right? Well, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the whole thing. Yeah, the, the, your your book is called Inside, and it's available yes. every everywhere. No, it's available. It's on uh, Amazon. If Amazon. You go to Amazon okay. and put in my name, Scott S C O T T, middle initial M, last name Hoffman. You have to put in that middle initial H O S F M A N. Okay. And put in the book Inside. Yeah. The title. You will see the book. It's paperback, and it's also sold okay. on Kindle. Okay. Amazon. Well, actually, Amazon is everywhere, so there, there you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of people ask me, can they get in their bookstore? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there a website that you've developed so people can uh, further? No. Okay. All right. Good. Um, now, uh, and you also do podcasts and things like that, huh? Yes. And how do people find that? Is it just all over the place? Well, yeah, it's there, or as the person contacted you, 
okay, so you peer on podcasts. Okay, you know, I got you. They want to because they do. I have people uh, that pa- that do the actual setting up the interview. I see. What I work with a I blogger, a, a book blogger, and a, uh, a book yeah, promoter, and these okay. are his staff people. Right. I can give you his name and such, but uh, okay. and he has a, a email address. Perfect. But that's how the interviews are booked. So okay. if you want to get in touch with them, they'd have to get in touch okay. with. Uh, so the book is called Inside, and and through through fiction, you actually get a look at inside uh, what was going on, which again is probably fascinating to everybody because it's something that did it happen, is. and still kind of does, but maybe not the way you. You think know, it's it fascinating too is when I do in person mm-hmm. presentations. Yes, is the women. I can't tell you how many women come in. I like this life. I like to know more about it. Tell uh, me more about it. Because they like intrigue. You'd be surprised. Women like intrigue, and they give intrigue, too. Okay. Uh, Scott, what's middle initial again, Scott? Scott M. M. Okay. Hoffman. H O. murder. Okay. Okay. Oh, I'll remember that. H-O-F-F-M-A-N. Scott Hoffman. Scott, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I wish we could do it longer. Maybe we'll do it again in the future, huh? Oh, yeah, anytime, Ron, and thank you very much for you had some very good questions, and thank you for the interview. I know it was short, but uh, I think at least you got a briefing of what things are about. You got it. The book is called Inside. Go for it. It's worth it. Scott, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you to my guests, and thank you to you. I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode and a brand-new program, but until that time arrives, you take care of yourself, and I wish you peace. Peace.